0: You are the master of your reality. This is even more true in relation to the government. Democracy doesn't just happen. It takes participation. Governments need participation and feedback from their citizens. Join Rob Hutchinson for Dear Parliament, where you get to understand the issues and engage directly with government. Dear Parliament is every Wednesday at midday, only on 101.9 High FM.
1: Well good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Dear Parliament which of course is the show in which I attempt to bring the behind the scenes happenings and news going on in Parliament and I try to bring it closer to you. And no doubt once again there is so much going on, uh, so much that it is actually really difficult to to keep up with, with all these matters. But however, perhaps the most important and pressing issue for all South Africans is without a doubt, energy. And when I say energy, I mean energy in all its forms. From from what I've noticed, there's definitely a lack of energy on, on a personal level. I certainly do feel exhausted all the time, no doubt, because I've spent all my energy and resources over the past six months just trying to keep afloat of of everything of all the happenings trying to deal with uh, what's going on on in this country and sometimes it can possibly be a bit overwhelming but there's always light at the end of the tunnel and of course that light needs to be actually working and be able to operate and of course that requires energy in itself yeah you know, there also be seems to be a lack of energy From our political parties and political leaders a lack of lack of will or is it energy to to deal with the many problems facing our country right now and it's not just from our our ruling party but there's also lack of energy from the other political players individuals and parties as as such there certainly seems to be a lack of energy around business why aren't businesses taking a stronger stand against certain regulations that are detrimental to to the economy and most certainly detrimental to the future well-being of those businesses it's time to think long-term guys not just short-term spend a little more energy and go go travel a bit further and i have to say there's certainly a lack of energy from all of us in south africa is it because we are again too too tired, are we overworked? Are we overstressed? Are we overburdened? Well, I would say perhaps perhaps we are. But again, we just need to look on the bright side as you know there's there's only one place to go when you approach the bottom, and that is up. So let's all look up and do something about whatever we can in in South Africa. One one issue that I definitely have noticed around energy is the fuel price, and I'm sure it's hitting us all hard. And it's not just when filling up a tank. I mean, it, it took me almost 2,000 rand to fill up a tank of diesel uh, just last week, and that is absolutely ludicrous. That is unheard of before, and uh, as as far as we know. That could get a lot worse. Let's hope it doesn't. We need to find some sort of sustainable solution to this, to this problem, as fuel prices, and especially on diesel, affect absolutely everything, from travelling or transporting goods. Um, right throughout the country. Who pays at the end of the day? Most definitely us as consumers. Not only are we paying for an increase in fuel prices and our own costs, but we have to now account for increases in our food, in absolutely everything else. And what are the solutions? While there aren't many solutions in sight just yet from, from our government, although we have seen a few interesting proposals from the private sector and of course then we have to deal with the energy crisis at ESCOM. and we've seen certainly had our fair share of load shedding i'm personally tired of tired of the load shedding but and actually also decided to perhaps look at going uh, off the grid onto solar and then was presented with a new proposal on from from escom uh, demanding a tariff on solar and off-grid usage how ridiculous this should be complete the other way but Ramaphosa has uh, proposed a few solutions which seem to be quite let's say promising let's say promising that is of course if government can deliver on those promises as we know our government loves to make pr- lovely proposals and some very uh, great solutions, but has a lack of ability or initiative to roll them out. Let's put some pressure on government from civil society and make sure these changes do happen. Some important changes that Roma Pausa has proposed around the, the ESCOM and uh, energy prop crisis in South Africa and there's some really good ones here, the the, the first one is uh, the removal of the 100 megawatt cap which was placed on private electricity generation some some time back, it was originally a 1 megawatt uh, per hour cap, then it was raised to 100, now they've removed it completely, which means that there is now no limit on the private sector to procure and generate their own electricity. And that is great because that's where we should be moving towards more private generation of electricity less reliance on a failing state-owned entity let's hope that actually does happen and of course that that would involve um a change to the energy bid window which is this one is actually scheduled to roll out in 2023 and it will allow more uh, private players to step in up to a total of around 5.2 gigawatt hours that would be great to add that to, to the grid most certainly needed and one important thing to take note of is the change around uh, uh, local content requirements and the red tape on licensing and environmental requirements in, in certain areas This this does pose some problems and some some good issues, as it's removing the red tape, making it easier for private players to get in. But it does propose problems, which we will be talking about in a moment, and that is linked to the new regulations around fracking, around around the country. So, we'll be chatting later to an incredible a person, a great 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 individual who, in 2013, actually won. The Goldman Prize, which was an environmental prize designed to recognize important figures, people who play a a significant or put towards significant effort to protect and enhance the natural environment, and they often do so at great personal risk. We were chatting to Jonathan Deal, who, as I said, was the winner in 2013. He has spent a lot of time and effort on Uh, identifying the issues around uh, fracking, the dangers, good points, the bad points. And he has even spent time in the Californian Senate chatting to uh, people there and made quite an impact in his tour of the U.S. in in 2013. Now, although fracking might be a contentious issue, the new regulation, uh, somewhat on, on a surface level, do appear to be quite positive towards the environment and um, the regulation has actually been put out by the department of forestry fisheries and environment and it's um, it resolutions are on uh, managing and regulating the fracking environment according to the uh, department the regulations are intended to set standards for the use of hydraulic fracturing technology and can uh, manage environmental impacts and the Minister is actually responsible for, for the environment, has to look after the environment and therefore these regulations have come about. So stay with us because this will be a fantastic conversation and definitely something you do not want to miss.
0: You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen.
1: Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. I'm chatting today with Jonathan Deal, a fantastic individual, as I mentioned, who has played a significant role in identifying fracking issues, uh, not just locally, but also internationally. In fact, he was the winner of the 2013 Goldman Environmental Prize. Welcome, Jonathan. Great to have you on the show.
2: Thank you, Rob, for having me here.
1: Lovely, lovely Jonathan. Tell us a bit more about your your history around fracking, and particularly the, this Goldman Prize. It's fascinating. I've been doing a bit of reading about it. Tell us a bit more. I'm sure the listeners would love to hear it.
2: I can't claim any special training or attributes with regards to being an environmentalist. In fact, drop. The thing that really got me into right at the beginning, as I told many journalists, um, was the sheer arrogance um, of Shell at that point in time. Um, the country chairman, Mr. Bonang Makhale, was uh, very visible and audible in the national media, telling South Africa that Shell had decided they were going to come and frack the Karoo, And um, as a result of the fracking operations, they would be bringing this enormous wealth and benefits of energy to the South African people. And um, <clears throat> I just thought it was very arrogant, because nobody really asked them. They didn't, They certainly didn't ask us any, anything about that, and they never consulted the public. And it was put ahead almost as if it was a, a done deal. And at that time, I knew absolutely nothing about shale gas mining. So I went and did some research. And um, the research revealed to me that actually the story that we were hearing in South Africa from Shell was very different to what had happened in other places in the world. So the front end of the fight was really Around um, the arrogance of the company, I'm I'm generally motivated by an unfair fight, which is probably one of the reasons why I'm such a firm advocate of Dear South Africa as well, because um, Dear South Africa does certainly help to mobilise communities and engage the communities in South Africa.
1: Oh yes, thanks, thanks for that, Pante. It's absolutely, absolutely exactly what we do, and it's interesting that you say it was uh, a lack of. A disclosure and a lack of public participation—that seems to be the the modus operandi for government—is to keep these keep these uh, events and ideas and proposals under under wraps. But it's thanks to people like like you who do bring them to to the surface. <laughs> and uh, I, I've gone through a bit of fracking. I can't claim to be an, an expert on on fracking at, at all, or by any means. But you know, there's one camp that says. Fracking is is a great idea. There's this new proposal uh, on regulating it, or the regulations have been have been drafted for for fracking. And there's another camp that says that fracking is is uh, detrimental to the environment because of the uh, exposure to water and the contamination thereof. Uh, tell us a bit more about the good points and possibly the bad points as well.
2: I think that I would probably go um, to the Last paragraph of an op-ed that I put together uh, this morning around fracking to say that, like anything, one can people on opposing sides of a debate can cherry-pick research that suits their version and their narrative. So mm-hmm. I can go and find 100 reports, scientific reports, empirical data that suit my narrative, and people that are pro-fracking can do the same thing. What we need to do in South Africa is to put it into perspective. We are not in America. We are not in Ireland. We are not in Germany. We are not in a a first world country at all. And um, the issue is that there are two very big differences between South Africa and, for instance, America, where most of the fracking has taken place. And that is simply the first is the geology, which is a big issue. It's completely different to the geology in the United States and it militates against safe and successful fracking. Our water is very much at risk. And then the other issue is, of course, sorry, I'm just going to get rid of this.
1: No problem at all. And on the Dear, on the Dear Parliament show, we have sound effects playing in the background quite frequently just to add entertainment. <laughs> Welcome, Jonathan.
2: Right. Sorry about that, Rob. I thought that I had turned off every electronic means that people could contact me on, but there was one still.
1: There's always one that evades us.
2: Okay. Right. So we talked about um, geology and um, the differences uh, and water, of course, um, in the country. And the the other big one for me is that South Africa, um, in terms of the government, the administration, the Department of Minerals, is completely and utterly unable to manage and regulate mining operations. They cannot manage the existing mining operations in this country. They never have been able to in the last 20 or 30 years. And our mining, our mines, the environment is an absolute mess already from mines. So um, this is not a big fight against fracking per se as a technology but certainly within South Africa given our geological conditions our regulation and environmental monitoring it's just a no go
1: absolutely and that seems to be the general consensus from from the public and these regulations that have that have just been published do seem to uh, take that into consideration and uh, address some of the the environmental concerns however i'm not convinced that they are uh, effective enough, or that our government will actually be able to enforce these regulations, or, or monitor them, at all? I, I heard a rumor that our government. In fact, I read an article that might have been a rumor, that the government has significant uh, stake in in Shell and the companies that are uh, interested in in fracking. Do you have any? evidence on to to prove this or show this um
2: there was certainly evidence of a close connection between the anc and shell um in one of the upstream um structures that shell had this is now ten years ago so um, i'm challenged to come up with the exact amounts of percentages and that sort of thing but it was a significant it was a significant percentage um, of the interest uh, that, that uh, was there, and of course it doesn't, you know, it doesn't surprise me. There is a revolving door in all fields of business. There is a revolving door between the commercial entities and the government of the time, whether it's in America or South Africa or wherever. And uh, the public would, be, would do well to be, to be more skeptical of this
1: arrangement. Absolutely, that does does make a lot of sense. As we've seen, legislation that definitely uh, changes with with the time. and does serve uh, private interests and shareholding in in certain entities. That's it's a absolutely a well known fact that this does happen across the world, as as you've said. But it's more worrying that government would would take a a such a harsh approach or uh, I want to say unstable approach. To, to solving energy crisis in in South Africa and especially in areas like, like the Karoo. What are, what are the dangers ar- around fracking in, in the Karoo specifically?
2: Well, to bring you back to <clears> the <throat> kind you touched briefly on the regulations and Minister Creasy has released the regulations touting them as uh, much stronger and more robust and um, designed to protect the environment. Now, our team is already busy reviewing this latest documentation. But one of the, the interesting aspects is simply that um, she talks about enhancing the, dis- or they talk about a two-kilometer distance from a fracking operation to a water source. In other words, um, an underground water source that feeds a town like Beaufort West or, or Aberdeen, they're saying, or Renet, uh, no fracking within two kilometers of that water source. In the 1960s Sukor which was the government-owned exploration company at that stage drilled a well near Aberdeen around about 4,000 meters deep um, to the to date one of the deepest boreholes in this in South Africa and around 4,000 meters it lost pressure which means that the side of the the borehole collapsed to put it in layman's terms. Six weeks later And at surface level, in other words, four kilometers up from where it happened in in height, the exact chemicals that were used appeared on the surface in a natural spring. That was proof positive of the fact that water migrates underground in the Karoo for great distances. And there is no ways that they can scientifically predict safely where they can drill without polluting the water source of the towns in, Karu, in the Karoo, of which there are around about a hundred towns in the Karoo, little towns and villages, more than 90 of them are completely dependent on underground water. Um, so that that needs to be measured in rands and cents, that risk. What would it cost the government if they had to truck in water to Hrafrenet for the next 20 years because the water supplies were Polluted by fracking. So we talk about environmental economics. This is not just a case of counting money from shale gas It's a it's a case of counting the rands and cents costs of environmental damage and the knock-on
1: damage Absolutely, and it is definitely more than than just the visible damage as as you say now there's The the regulations do seem to address quite quite a bit of these concerns as, as I mentioned and they've also proposed a, a a two what do they call them MIRS, which are specifically related to um, authority and a registration and authorization around certain environmental impacts or uh, certain environmental impact assessments reports. However, um, I was reading a news article this morning that talked about. One of Ramaphosa's, a s- proposals or solutions to the energy crisis. And in that, one of them was a temporary relaxation of local content requirements. And this is obviously talking about licensing and environmental requirements in certain low risk areas. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind is they're going to be bypassing uh, environmental requirements in order to get their fracking going or other oil exploration, or, or something like that going, what are the risks in, involved in, in bypassing environmental requirements? In fact, what are those environmental requirements currently? Well, in fact, I wanted
2: to say to you that when you were talking about the regulations and how they've been strengthened and what they provide for, one has to keep in mind that these regulations will be the same as any other regulation in South Africa attached to any other industry or process and I'm afraid that the record of this government of upholding any regulations in any sphere of government or industry is absolutely shocking. So they can draft regulations and make them world-class regulations until the cows come home. If they don't have the will and the ability to actually manage and enforce those regulations, they're worth nothing. It's a paper tiger.
1: Absolutely correct, yeah. That's that's my mantra all the time and you often wonder who has to do the enforcement and who has to do the the environmental monitoring and who has to do the reporting and it's clearly, it's us as a civil society. Will will your organization or yourself be monitoring these closely? Um,
2: We certainly will. It is now time also for the communities, um, the affected communities in the areas where these operations would take place, whether it's exploration or full-scale production, to actually step up to the plate and start making themselves known. And South Africans have a very, very good example of what they can achieve as a community, and that is the eTOLs. When they stood up as a community and said, enough and no further, this is not happening, it's not coming out of our pockets. The government really started eating the pudding that they had baked for themselves. And if the community in this country, if, if, if all of us will learn to stand up and stand together on issues of common interest that are very dangerous to all of us in our future, we can put the government in their place and make them start working for the citizens instead of the other way around
1: could not agree more with you, Jonathan. In fact, ETALS is always a a great uh, baseline and a great example of of civil activism being extremely effective. And that's, like I often said, in fact, I've built my life around it for the past uh, 12 years, that Mm. it's civil civil activism and an engaged uh, citizenry that will actually bring about change in this country. We too often forget that this, is a democracy? It's a participative democracy, and we are actually in control. We guide our guide our so-called leaders. I, I hesitate to call them leaders, but they are supposed to be public servants, and they act supposed to act in the will of of the public. But what's happened in this country is we've seen a lack of civic participation, and therefore a government that will start to encroach and overreach on on civil rights. But how would we actually take a stand against, or well, if we wanted to take a stand against these uh, fracking going on on in the crew with e It was quite a simple process. We were quite exposed to it, but fracking is quite removed from from the general public.
2: It is to <clears throat> it is to a large extent. I have been very fortunate um, for, for a number of years uh, to have the support. Of Afri Forum in terms of standing up to the fracking regulations and the radio station I have achieved anything close to what I have without the support of Afri Forum. and there was a time certainly when I started where AfriForum was was regarded as being um, a far-right organization um, that served minority interests nothing actually then or today can be further from the truth. Uh, AFRI Forum have spent and invested enormous amount of money in bringing about service delivery around water, sanitation, basic services and basic human rights for many communities and disadvantaged communities in this country. So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't get into an advocate's office at eight grand an hour, um, not even for one hour in, in Johannesburg uh, without the support. Of AfriForum and that's basically what it boils down to. Is there two routes you can take care of as you well know? Well, I'd like to paint it out for the listeners. The one is the legal side and that's taking the government to court and uh, with Afri Forum we actually had a unanimous verdict uh, of the Supreme Court of Appeal a couple of years ago where the Department of Minerals was told to scrap their regulations and go and do their work properly. So that's the one way to do it. The other way to do it is with civil participation or civil society. And if people will stand up and stand together, and the biggest, of course, that they can do, apart from being informed, and that is the job of the local ambassadors and champions of a course, to make sure that the public are informed of what's happening, is to put some money into it, and literally 25 rand a month. And I'm talking about any type of campaign um, that that you might be involved in, that South Africa might be involved in, certainly that I've been involved in. If you've got, it's it's very simple, maths, if you've got 100,000 supporters and they're putting 25 rand a month in, you're looking at an enormous amount of money on a monthly basis, and that pays media, it pays public participation, and it takes us to court. And that is the way to drive these things, that the people stand up and say, you know what? for the price of a cappuccino I'm going to forego one cappuccino a month and actually send 25 rand a month to treasure the karoo or whoever is is running the campaign and it's really really in the hands of civil society it is not enough to join a facebook group and click like i call I, you know those are the keyboard warriors the environmental the environmental keyboard warriors the clicktivists and you can't discharge your duty to society by clicking once like on the Facebook page, it's not good enough.
1: Well, I love that term, clicktivists. In fact, I'm going to use that. Absolutely brilliant there. But yes, it is all about getting involved. And if you don't want to get involved physically, then then make a contribution, and that'll enable us to get involved on on your behalf. And by us, I mean any civil society group.
0: You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen
1: and indeed democracy doesn't just happen as jonathan deal has graciously informed us it does take a bit of work it does take some effort and more effort for some than, than for others if you don't have that have time or ability to do it don't worry there are groups that can represent you as as they should Jonathan, welcome back. It's so far been a fantastic, fantastic discussion. I'd like to I'd like to point out the, there there are some groups that say fracking is a good thing. Uh, why why would they some groups be be saying this?
2: Rob, I think quite simply, um, in this country, anybody that thinks it a good thing can be motivated from a number of perspectives. One is that they have had enough of living in the dark and they are under the impression that shale gas will bring um, life to ESCOM and all of a sudden everything will be back to normal. Um, The other option is possibly that they are connected in some way to the industry directly or to a satellite industry that would be supplying um, tools and equipment or chemicals or anything else that the any other consumables that the fracking industry would require. Or perhaps might even be looking for one of those 200,000 permanent jobs that were so glibly promised by Econometrics and Shell. So <clears throat> essentially, and I think that we can steer away from from the less desirable trays and just concentrate on the fact that it might be quite altruistic and say, well, if there's lots of gas under the Karoo, why can't we get it? Because it's going to fix our problems uh, with ESCOM. We're back to environmental economics and one needs to measure the cost of actually getting that gas out from under the ground in the Karoo, with all of the environmental risk, which costs money to fix. So all of that that technology has to be imported from the United States, for instance, or from a country where fracking happens, including the technical expertise of the people that run these rigs. This is not something that you read and start it up and off you go. It's a highly technical and complex job and I've spent five weeks in the United States visiting uh, fracking installations so I can talk about this.
1: T- t- tell but us a, the, bit more the, about, a bit more yeah. about the the U.S. establishments. How do they differ from, from South Africa?
2: Well, drilling um, has been something that's been around in America for a very long time. So, they're um, used to it and it's generally around oil and where they would be drilling an oil well and it would intersect with an aquifer or of oil a large underground reservoir of oil which they would then be able to, to pump up we've all seen um the depictions on the movies when oil is struck and the jubilation and oil flying all over the place. that's essentially what the drilling industry in america was it's in around about the 1960s they started using explosives to stimulate um, the geology underground and release even more oil. And that's when the notion Mm. of of, uh, releasing gas came from. But um, I think what we've got to keep in mind in South Africa is that the very high costs of drilling here, bringing all that technical expertise from overseas, as well as the potential costs of polluting an aquifer underground, and getting that gas from the middle of the Karoo to an Eskom facility where it can be used. It would be much cheaper to purchase the gas from Angola, from Tanzania, from Mozambique, and bring it to an offshore facility and use it there, if and when Eskom think they will finally be in a position to use it intelligently
1: that makes a, uh, so much sense it really does if, if you put the take away all the environmental factors and, and just bring in the economic factors we we're in a difficult economic climate right now fracking will certainly add to that make times more difficult and no doubt push up the cost of of electricity which is already uh, way too high in my opinion we're facing a 32.6% increase, which has been uh, requested by by ASCOM, and then a further 10% next year. So, yeah, this this is not not an instant solution or an economically viable solution at at all. And of course, um, we the regulations are open for comment, and uh, right now they were published last week, and they you can have your say. On, on the regulations on dear SouthAfrica.co.za, but why don't I'm talking to to our listeners here? Send us a send us a message to three four five one nine. Let us know your thoughts on fracking. Is it a viable solution or is it not not to be touched by by, by us as South Africans? Let us know. That's three four five one nine. Now, Jonathan. Tell us a bit more about you, what you're currently doing and your future plans. Um, well
2: I actually have another <laughs> so easy campaign. <laughs> no, no, I have another campaign that, that I'm involved in as well, but the the fracking side of things, um, at best at this time I can I can monitor it and give advice to various groups which I've been asked to provide and to do. But I invested in the initial campaign in around about 2010. Between 2010-2013, I invested about one and a half million rand of what was supposed to be retirement money for me, and um, the Goldman Environmental, <coughs> excuse me, the Goldman Environmental Prize also yielded about 1.2 million rand, which also went into that campaign. So I'm not in a position where I can bankroll um, a public. Res- anymore and the public needs to stand up and do it themselves and um, yeah, the other campaign that I'm involved in is completely different and um, it's around community safety and civil rights around community of safety and it's an organization called safe citizen but uh, I think that's a conversation for another time
1: absolutely yeah that's a it's a wonderful organization which I'm, I'm convinced our listeners would be well uh, or well, willing to be to listen and be educated on on what what you actually do there but definitely we'll I'd love to have you on again and we'll chat more more about this and do an update on on fracking and see how this bull bull is going jonathan deal it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you certainly um exposed quite a few issues around around the bull and the truth around, around fracking and, and the dangers and I hope that our listeners enjoyed that as well and that brings us to unfortunately to, to the end of the Dear Parliament show for, for this week, if you missed it be sure to catch up with the podcast which is available on Spotify and on our website at www.chayfm.com and Hope to see you next week for more interesting chats. And remember to stay democratically engaged, active, and responsible. Ciao for now.